I'm Tommy Salmons. This is year zero. Well, we're on day 5,000, I think, of this whole coronavirus thing. I don't know. I don't even know what day it is anymore. I feel like the zombie apocalypse has come, and I have one of my favorite people in the world to talk to, Miss Sherry Voluntary, because I want to talk about being an adult <laughs> and a parent during this period of time. Hey, thanks for having me on, Tommy. I appreciate it. It's always great to come on your show. Oh, well, you know, probably should have waited for a more upbeat time, but you always make me feel better about things because you're so, <laughs> you're so positive. Well, you caught me on a good day. <laughs> I've had my days. Hey, well, you're a redhead. I would hate to catch you on a bad day. My mom's a redhead. <laughs> I know how that goes. Right. <laughs> so. It can be rough. What is the coronavirus uh, environment like for the Sherry Voluntary household? Uh, well, you know, we're, we are going about our business um, as, as much as possible, but, uh, you know, I'm staying at home as much as I can. Um, if I need to go out, I go out, but I'm not, you know, I'm just kind of, I'm taking the middle of the road approach, right? Like, mm -hmm. Not everything the the authorities are telling everyone is incorrect, but not everything they're saying is correct either, I think. So, you know, I'm just taking it all in with a grain of salt and, and being cautious, better to, you know, be a little cautious than to be reckless. So that's that's sort of the situation here. We I already homeschool, so it's not really an issue. My my uh daughter who is nine has been like she was all happy about it. She she goes to a a co-op that's um two and a half days a week, a little homeschool co-op. And the only thing she's missed now is her friends. Now she's starting to go. When am I going to get to see my friends again? And we've been doing some little Skype calls, you know, and things like that, so she can hang out with them. Um, but other than that, our life isn't all that different at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Now, okay. So the you're you're taking these. And, and one thing I've, I've trying to, I guess I should clarify this. One thing I'm trying to do during this whole period is my natural point of view on, on things like this, especially when the media is amplifying the, the, the this fear mongering is yeah, the hysteria. Is, <laughs> yeah. I've just, I step back and I try to be dispassionate about it, but I'm really, yes. I'm always skeptical about these things. Because it's right. like, okay, like, what are y'all trying to, why are y'all trying to get us to operate in this manner? Like, what are you trying mm -hmm. to accomplish? What, what does it do for you? Right. And so when it comes to your, your daughter, and I don't know if, if she has some sort of, you know, uh, compromised immune system or respiratory system or something like that. No. But um, when, when you're looking at, at parenting in and dealing with your kids and not allowing your kids to, you know, to kind of like social distance the buzzword of the day um, and stay in, and staying away from their friends. Are you looking at it from, well, my daughter, though, she might be asymptomatic because she's perfectly healthy. She might spread it to somebody within my family who has a compromised immune system. Or are you worried about her contracting it to her, her friends? Are you actually like, have you seen studies or, or some evidence that maybe this is worse for children than what we're being led to believe? 
Uh, no, you know, it's mostly because the other parents don't want to have their kids hang out right now. Um, you know, the last person I'm concerned about getting it, honestly, is my daughter, who's very healthy and nine year old, nine years old, and my son, who's 17. Like, I don't, I haven't heard that it's been particularly more devastating for healthy children. Um, now, very young infants, maybe, I don't know, but that's the, the thing about this whole thing is it's hard to get real numbers and to know what's right, because there are so many sources of contradictory information, and I, and I think that that helps to heighten the fear of people. Um, so, uh, that for me, that's, you know, my, my thinking is, I don't know what the truth is, right, and sometimes we just we can look at all the information that's out there, but it still doesn't really give us the actual what is going on. So I'm not quite sure what to believe about it. I don't think that it's as um, crazy as, as the media would lead you to believe, but I do think that there could be a possibility of hospitals getting overloaded. So my thinking is, I'm going to do what I need to do, but if I don't have to go and, you know, get my hair done or something, I'm not going to do that just because I, I don't want to take the chance of getting it. And I probably wouldn't get sick to the point that I'd need to go to the hospital if I did get it mm. because I'm relatively healthy. So, but, but in the, the off chance that I might get that sick, you know, I, I'm just trying to avoid that because the hospitals, you know, they, they only have so much capacity and all that. So I'm just trying to take a, like you said, step back. I think that's always the best thing to do, especially when the fear narrative is being pushed, is always take a step back, get your head out of it for a minute, and look at it from 10,000 feet, you know, and go, okay, what's going on here? What, what are, who are the players, and what are, what's the messaging that they're sending and why? And um, I definitely think that, the media has has been uh, hyping this in a way as to make people more scared. And I, you know, I don't think that the government planned this. I don't think it was like something they released. I mean, I don't know, but that's from what I get. I don't think that's the case, but I think they are definitely taking advantage of the situation. And um, I also think that this probably isn't the time that's going to be, you know, when the stuff hits the fan. Like, <laughs> I think this is, if it's anything, it's probably a dry run mm -hmm. um, to see how much power people will just hand over to them. Because, look, they're like anyone else. They would rather take the path of least resistance, right? Like that's every, every institution, organization, whatever is incentivized. We want to take the path of least resistance. We want to get the most for the least effort. And so I think if they can get people afraid enough and they realize, oh, we're talking about suspending the constitution. I mean, you and I know that that's, that document doesn't do much for us anyways, but that's, you know, that gives them, in, in most people's eyes, free reign to do whatever they want. And so you've already I've seen people talking about that um, and articles talking about, you know, Congress considering that um, already. And uh, that's that's pretty scary when you think about most people will just hand it over and be glad they did. 
like they're they feel more secure and safe knowing that that daddy government has all the power now to just do what it needs to do and if that means trampling a few folks well maybe I'll still be safe and and that's that's the scariest part to me is is people's mindsets and the economic fallout and I think that um this may be just a test run, and and it also will discredit a lot of us who say, "Look, you can't trust the you can't trust the government, you can't trust the state. Their solutions are bad. They they make things worse." Um, I think if if they had something like that, where they took you know say had lockdowns that were very severe, like in some places, um, and you know then they gave all that power back to people. Uh, and they would go, okay. Well, see, they they don't want they don't want to lord over us. They just want to to protect us. And then the next time when they take it, they have free reign to do that, and they're not giving it back. So that's just you know that's maybe a little conspiratorial. And and I'm not generally a conspiracy theory type, but you know I'm not stupid either. And I know <laughs> there are elements uh, within the state that would love nothing more than to you know, go full police state. So I'm well, trying not to be naive or or too scared. You know, it's it's a hard it's hard to walk the middle. Yeah, and well, and I don't think you have to be conspiratorial to yeah to look at history and say, okay, every time the government has taken taken mass action. I mean, just go back. I I hear a lot of people saying 9/11. Mm-hmm. And you look at the Patriot Act and all the all the surveillance and the spying and everything that, that came after 9-11. You don't yeah. have to be a conspiracy theorist to, <laughs> to recognize that the government is looking to get more power. They're always yeah. looking to get more power. And that when, it, you know, it's, it's the ratchet effect, you know, as a lot of people have been pointing out, that they might mm-hmm. give you some of your freedoms back you know, quote unquote freedoms back, right. give you some of these little privileges back, but it's never going back to how it was. It exactly. will never go, go back to how it was. I like mm-hmm. to look at it. Um, I know, I know the ratchet effect is a very popular way of, of discussing it, but I like to look at it more like a rubber band. And mm-hmm. once you stretch that rubber band to its limits and you release it, it never goes back to that original shape, that original sure. form. It's now stretched right. out. It's bigger than it was. And there's no right. getting it back. And yeah. and so that's what we're dealing with here. And so, yeah. you know, anybody who's taking precautions and, and doing things that they normally wouldn't do, and which I don't understand. Okay, so I live in the, I live in the Gulf Coast. We deal with hurricanes mm-hmm. every couple of years. You know, I find it right. just just absurd that people are not even the least bit prepared. Right, you know? know, I'm like, so yep. oh, so in in September when Harvey 2.0 shows up, you mm-hmm. know, or another Katrina shows up, you were planning on dying anyway. You know, yeah. you weren't even planning on surviving, or you were, yeah. plan- or you were what going to depend on somebody else to take care of you? you right. Know, you- like, you're you're absolutely right. It doesn't make any sense, and I can't think of any any part, any any place, any city, uh, in the in the country that doesn't deal with some sort of natural disaster, whether it yeah. be you know heavy snows, 
flooding, earthquakes, fires, you know, there's something going right. on, you know, that yeah. you have to be prepared for and, and be prepared mm-hmm. to lock down for a little while. Yeah, so, I, I agree. I, I'm always, I've always got a couple of weeks worth of food stashed away, you know, and, and this whole thing has made me realize I need to maybe put on the prepper hat just a little bit more um, because, you know, you see people's reaction to this. And and that's the scariest part. Like the 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 virus is not really scary to me, mm-hmm. um, but because you know things like this happen, they come and go. They they will pass. Um, and and that's not to minimize anyone who's actually injured by it. But but it's you know it's a, it's it's a fact of life that disease happens, right? Um, and so that doesn't really scare me. What scares me is people and their response um, and and what they will allow of themselves at the slightest fear. And I think you're, you're hitting it right on the head with the, you know, people who absolutely should be prepared are so unprepared. And what did that say about the mindset of the everyday average American right now? I mean, they, they really do have such a short attention span and people are just living for the day you know not to to get on a soapbox but you know our grandparents didn't live like that Mm. right they didn't they didn't live on you know so many people have massive debt in their lives that they're living on the edge constantly so that any sort of economic problem takes them into uh, terrible places and then if you throw something like like this on top of it um it just it can really be devastating for people. The smallest uh, little hiccup in any kind of economic uh, situation. So I'm just I'm I'm I thought that maybe the 2007 crash, you know, would would wake people up a little bit, but yeah, it doesn't. It, they get right. The government gets right back into its you know for poor fiscal policy. And starts doing the things that it always does, and and makes the problem. But when when the bubble bursts, like right now, they get to blame coronavirus, um, and and people go, oh, it was the virus that caused all the economic problems. And then the government, I mean, the state loves that that narrative because they get to blame somebody else and continue their terrible fiscal policies and and gain more power in the process. So. Yeah, I, I think that uh, that you hit it right on the head there with people just not being prepared and not thinking it through. And, and you know, people who won't prepare for their own safety and their own lives, how how in the world are, are we, you know, expecting them to care about fiscal policy? Like, if you, if you don't care enough to actually make sure you are, you know, at least as prepared as you can be um, for, you know, if you live, like you said, on the Gulf Coast and you know there's going to be a hurricane, at some point, the odds are pretty high, um, and you still don't prepare. Like these aren't people who who are really taking an active role in in uh, their own lives and taking responsibility for their own lives. So yeah, and that's per- yeah. personal responsibility. You know, they don't. Mm-hmm. It it's 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 become. I was talking to Scott Horton the other day about this, and I was like, you know, it, mm-hmm. it's really strange, like. You know, we were talking about about his parents and my parents, and just my dad. My dad's high risk for if he catches this, it, yeah. could, it could do some serious damage to him because he's diabetic. Yeah. He's got high blood pressure, you know, and he works retail, and he's yep. he's not he's not missing work. You know, it's just that's not wow. in his DNA. That's not who right. he is. 
and I'm not gonna yeah. I'm not gonna preach to him. I mean, you know, right. like whatever. He's you a know. grown man. Yeah, because <laughs> the way I look at it, the reason I am an anarchist, the reason that I have the excuse me one second <clears throat> smoker's cough. I promise I don't have the, the Rona. <laughs> Um, the reason that I am who I am and, and take the re- personal responsibility and I'm an anarchist and I look at things the way I look at them is because of the, of the, um, influence of my parents and, mm-hmm. you know, the example that they set for me, you know, I watched my mom go from, she has, my mom has zero, uh, college education. She does not mm-hmm. even, she doesn't even have a GED and she has okay. worked her way up through, through the ranks of, of workman's comp and into safety and is making, you know, a, a good, a good chunk of change now. Um, right. And yeah, she took a financial hit because a lot of these companies are, instead of laying people off, they're actually, uh, you know, doing salary cuts and that, that happened to her, right. but, but she still makes good money and they have money set aside you know and i've watched them in and you know through my entire life and realized that hey if you take the responsibility and you do it and you go out there and you work you're gonna get what you need you're gonna you're gonna figure it out you know you don't need to be dependent on you know a third party whether it's the state or family or whatever right and yeah that's kind of what made us like our generation what we are and mm-hmm. so the helicopter parenting and all that stuff that came up <laughs> through the 80s and into the 90s, that has created this this soft generation. And I don't mean it to be insulting, but they, they were comfortable. They had it good, you know? And, <laughs> yeah. and so they think that somebody's always going to be there to bail them out. And it's like... Yeah, unfortunately, I don't think it's... I don't think it's just limited to the millennials or the zoomers. You know, I think, I think they may look to government even more, but I, you know, I, I hate to even say that I I kind of cautious because, you know, the boomers are the people that are looking to government more than anybody. Like (laughs) that sort of generation brought those, those ideas in that, you know, government should take care of healthcare and, and education and everything else. So it's, there's plenty of blame to go around, I guess, is, is my my thinking. Um, but I, it's, it's funny you say that about your parents because my parents are very same situation as yours. Um, my my mom has got diabetes and high blood pressure, and so you know she can't really be out. She's retired, but um, my grandmother lives with them, who has poor kidney function and things like that. So they're staying home, which makes sense, right? Like, this is the part where you're talking about being an anarchist. Each person has to evaluate their level of risk mm-hmm. and decide what risk they're willing to take. And and for them, it would be incredibly ridiculous for them to be out and about right now because it could kill them very easily. But somebody like, you know, me, you, my kids, it's, the chances are so much lower. So I don't think that people think of it in those terms about, you know, it's, it's my life and I get to determine um, and evaluate the risk. <laughs> Pardon me. Um, and that's, that's, like you said, that's essential to being an anarchist, to being a free person. That's essential to say, 
you know, the same people that would argue that we should be locked in our houses right now are maybe some of those people realize that seatbelt laws are stupid. There's no difference. There's no difference here. It's the risk that you get to take. And, And I've seen a lot of people online, you know, saying you could kill somebody's kids or you could kill someone who's elderly that's got an, uh, you know, suppressed immune system. Like that makes no sense because those people are already prepared for this. Yeah. <clears throat> Pardon me, I got a little thing in my throat here. Hmm. Um, those people are already prepared. They're already, you know, if you've got a, a suppressed immune system, if you're immunosuppressed, whatever they call it, mm-hmm. then you um. You've already been preparing for flu season. You already know when it comes around. Um, you already take precautions. Like, I think for me, the, the thing that makes the most sense is the hospital situation. And because, you know, they have regular things that they need to take care of. And I, I think we're not really hearing about <clears throat> some of the things that are causing hospitals or, or, or that are damaging people because their surgeries are getting canceled and things of that nature where because they're preparing for the influx of coronavirus patients, if there is one. Um, so I think the fallout is much wider than, than we're even going to know uh, because it's affecting other people's care as well. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> there's, a, there's a lot of nuance to this whole thing, but I, I've also been hearing where they are um, counting like people who died of, say, a heart attack but they, they, when they did an autopsy or blood work or whatever, they found that they had the coronavirus, even though they didn't have any symptoms, they say they died of coronavirus. Right. So I don't know how true that is, but I've seen people saying that about, you know, people that they, like one person, it was her mother, um, that happened to. And so I, I, you just have to wonder why they would fudge the numbers, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so <laughs> there's a lot that goes into it. But yeah. all I know is that we have to we have to retain our principles. I know my cousin is she's a nurse in um in St. Louis <clears throat> at a hospital in St. Louis, and I know she had talked to my mom. I guess it was last week. Uh, my mom had told me about this, and so she said what they're seeing is, that's so scary to the medical profession is that some of these people are coming in with very mild symptoms when they're coming yeah. into the hospital. And then they're having uh, complete organ failure. So it's attacking a different part of their body. Like, so they wow. end up with kidney failure or something like that. But there, there's also, I read a study last night and I'm actually reading into it a little bit more. I have a, a friend of mine who I chat with regularly, who's a, who's a medical professional. And he was telling me that there is some, there's a biological component within the virus and i don't know how it all works so i can't even get into all the details on it (laughs) Um, but he's telling me there's like this biological component that is identical to hiv and so really so there's two different strains of the virus there's the l strain and the s strain and and one of them is worse than the other and one of them is Hmm. actually carrying components of hiv and so it's it's actually attacking the immune system differently, and and so that strain is supposed to be ten times worse than the other one, and so it's kind of wow. hard to um, separate. Like you said earlier, it's hard to really determine what's just propaganda and what's actually you know you need to be really concerned with. Right. And 
you know, as a, you know, as a truck driver, you know, we're out here, we're just running, you know, we're just doing right. what we can to, to keep up. I mean, the, the freight lines, a lot of these distribution centers are a day behind. Um, I spent mm -hmm. most of last week waiting on, on loads and didn't drive near as much as I normally drive because, right. um, especially, you know, running for Georgia Pacific and paper products and Nestle waters. Um, we're just, they're just behind on orders. Um, I spent nearly 16 hours waiting on a load in Muskogee, Oklahoma, uh, last week, you know, or mm -hmm. a, a Georgia wow. Pacific load. Now it seems like this week's a little bit smoother and things seem to be operating a little bit smoother. So, uh, the distribution chain seems to be catching up at least, um, on the logistics side. Uh, yeah. you know, I know there's <laughs> still like, I went, it's some of the most ridiculous stuff. And I'm just, now I'm just ranting. I went to the store this weekend. Um, I was getting, I had to get, my wife makes homemade dog treats for our, for our dogs out of, a out of chicken, chicken gizzards. And, uh, oh. <laughs> no, they love it. Anyway, but they love that. <laughs> no, they do. They love it. And it, she doesn't want to feed them a bunch of junk. You know, we, we spend a little mm -hmm. bit of extra money on food and feed them really good food. And, you know, this, that, and the other, cause we want, you know, our dogs are kind of, there are, there are kids, you know, especially like the one who normally rides with me. It's kind of like having, having my best friend with me all the time. Right. But, yeah. You know, so, so I went <laughs> to the store and the produce section completely full, the meat section completely full. You know what I couldn't find? Mm. I couldn't find yeast and flour, but I found Right. I, I could find self-rising flour. So I got self-rising flour because for some reason, my wife who hates to bake decided that this is a perfect time to start baking bread. And <laughs> <laughs> so third world living y'all, you know, and she, she's from South Africa. So I make fun of her for being third world. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and, uh, and then the, all the, like the whole chip aisle was empty. I was like, what are you people eating? Like, really? Right. That's what you're worried about? I got to get my damn Doritos yeah. and my Cheetos? Like, that's what you're yeah. concerned with? So, I it's, think it's really weird. Yeah, I think people, this is the, the other thing, we sort of touched on it earlier, is that I really believe people think that this is just going to pass, and then the economy's going to start right back up, and here we go roaring forward. Um, I don't think that's going to be the case, unfortunately. Most people don't understand that these things have domino effects. Right. And when you, when you shut down an entire economy, basically, then you, you take small businesses out. A lot of small businesses won't be able to weather this. Mm. And that, that's, a, that's a bad thing. You know, <laughs> that's a bad thing. So, um, well, it's a bad thing for yeah, the small I, businesses and for, for yeah. the local economies. But see, that's right. a that's a that's exactly the type of um, thing that the the corporations and the bankers depend on. You know, right. don't ever let so, a crisis go to waste. They get to get richer while the rest of us get poorer. You know, right? And, and so, it's, it's insane. Yeah. So it's that's that's not going to be good. Um, and I think that people are just unaware of, like I, I was talking to a friend of mine who is a, well, he loves almost any good conspiracy that comes along. <laughs> He's on top of it, even some of the, the really out there ones. 
Um, and he was just like, this is just a joke. You know, this there's nothing. This isn't even a real thing. I haven't known anyone who actually has gotten this or died of it. And I was like, well, it's happening. You know, I don't think that it's fake. Um, and, you know, the thing that you need to really be concerned about, because he's like, there's nothing. We don't, we just need to go on as business as usual. And I'm like, that's whether this is fake or not that's not going to happen because they're making economic decisions that are going to crush the economy. This is what you really need to prepare for. Mm. This is why you should be prepared. Um, because the odds of that you and your family get, you know, I went to high school with them, so <clears throat> we're the same age. It's like the odds that you and your family are going to get sick are, are very slim. Or, and even if you do, although they do live in Georgia, um, you're probably going to be okay, but the economic stuff, you're not going to be able to escape. Nobody's getting out of that. Like that, none of the, the regular folk anyways, we're not getting out of that. So mm-hmm. um, I think you see evidence clearly of that in, in the all the pork in the relief package, right? Mm-hmm. So they make sure their friends get paid I, and, and people are happy. Like they're, they're happy to have their, whatever it was, a thousand bucks or 1500 bucks. Yeah. They're, they're happy to have it and they don't even want to concern themselves right now with the fact that most of that money did not go to people. So setting aside that that money is stolen from people in the first place, you know, even if you just set that completely aside, uh, you're looking at people just selling their, their liberties for a couple, you know, a thousand bucks or whatever. And and that's, it's really sad. And it's just a bandaid fix because guess what? That's not going to last very long. If you have another 30 days of, of quarantine where you can't work, um, it's not going to last very long at all. And then you're right back in the same situation and people are going to be calling for another one. And, and, you know, it really, one of the things that really <clears throat> talked about the generational issue, and, and I saw mostly younger people saying this online was, when it was first proposed that we're, they were talking about giving people 500 bucks in relief, uh, people all over like, that's not enough to pay my rent. I don't know who these people think they are. And I'm thinking, wait a second. You, you act as if you have no onus in your own life. You have no responsibility to take care of your own life. Like it was, it, it's amazing how entitled people, people really are. And, and the way it, it comes out in, in situations like this where, you know, they're, they're, they're incredibly entitled and they're going to have a harsh wake up. I, I, I'm afraid that that's going to happen for them and, and it's not going to be pretty because they weren't told to prepare their own lives and that they're responsible for their own lives. One of the, one of, all right, so I kind of have a little bit of sympathy for these people and, and I'll, I'll tell mm-hmm. you why, because you got, the government either on the state level or the federal level coming into the communities Mm -hmm. and shutting them down and just saying, no, you cannot operate. Right. Period. Mm -hmm. You can't do anything. You're not allowed. You're not essential, you know, which I think, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, Mike Meharry has a, has an article he posted today, you know, uh, that he published in shift in the shift gold um, Uh website about how arbitrary it is that, uh, the government deciding what is and isn't essential. How can you tell? Exactly. <laughs> how can you tell mom and pop that their business isn't essential when it's essential right. for them to sustain their life? But that's another yep. story all in itself. But the fact of the matter is, the government is forcing these people to shut down, and they're like, okay, 
well, you're forcing me to shut down. So what are you going to do to make sure that I don't go without? So there's some sort of sympathy I have there. And I, I find the, the real disgusting part of it is that, okay, like Thomas Massey had pointed out when he talked to Dave Smith, um, on the last part of the problem podcast, you know, the real thing is this is $6 trillion new into the economy that this, this quote unquote stimulus bill you know, right. gives. And you're talking about the average family of four may receive $3,000 while accumulating yep. a $60,000 debt is yep. what you're doing. So yep. you're basically just saying, okay, we'll pay off some of that federal debt for you. Now, if, if you really wanted to stimulate you know, mom and pop and in, in the, in the citizens, all that money would have been going to them because where are they going to spend that money? They're going to spend it right. up on the corporations and on their local businesses anyway. The corporations right. may not have gotten as much money, right? So basically, this is just cronyism at, at its worst. And it's basically oh, they're absolutely. saying, they're saying, you know what, just to keep you pacified and to shut you people up so that we can bribe our big business buddies out there, you know, in the stock market. We're going to give you, we're going to give you some crumbs so that we can give them filet mignon, you know, and that's what I'm seeing. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, yeah, I don't like this whole $1,200 stimulus. I think it's ridiculous. And I think it's bad economics, but at the same time, like, I don't hate these people for it. What, who I hate are the politicians who are propping up their buddies. That's who I hate. Right. You know, you can't blame them for being who they've been trained to be. Right. Right. Like, exactly. I look back at myself and I can't believe some of the things I used to, you know, believe, (laughs) but, um, you know, I go, okay, well that's, you, you only could go so far. So yeah, you can't, you can't blame people for only doing what they, they know. Um, it's just the fact that I think this is going back to, something we were talking about earlier, um, sort of the, I, the the mentality between, say, our grandparents, our parents, and, and our generation, and the, the one after, two after us, um, is that, you know, the, the, the thing with these, the government and looking to them to help, you know, in harsh quotes, uh, is that nobody wants to have a little bit of suffering now. Right. They're ready to kick it down the road. And they, and every time you kick it down the road, you get to now 2020 where there comes an end of the road and, and we may be at the end of the road where you just can't kick it anymore. And you compound all that bad. You just keep compounding it and compounding it until when it really comes down, it's, it's such a, a huge house of cards that it just, everything collapses. So um, I think that's that's the, you know, when we look at Austrian economics, you see the cycle of how things go, and and sometimes you're going to have points where things aren't as great, and and if you just let the market work it out, the 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 suffering is so much smaller. It's it's much more manageable, um, and it's more easily overcome, so that it's not really terrible at all. But when you put in these um, false solutions and fixes that just, they, they fix it for now, that benefits politicians, and so that's why they do it. But you're, you're selling your kids out. You're selling your grandkids and your great-grandkids out. Right. So, um, you know, I, I, as much as I hate that people are going to suffer from 
most likely from this economic situation, it has to happen. And and hopefully, I guess if there's any bright side to this, is that as libertarians, we can offer solutions. Right. We, we can offer real solutions to people. And, and, and especially once the fear dies down, I think you're going to see people, some people at least, maybe more willing to take a look at, well, where the government failed, which they, you know, this, they made this whole thing in so many different categories and ways worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, we can, I, I like that, you know, that phrase, be the change you wish to see in the world that you've heard, you know, so many times. Well, this is our time. This is, this is a libertarian's time to actually be that change, to, to start um, helping in your community, start things that, you know, once, once we're all financially, I'm not, I'm not, you know, nobody is, um, they're not obligated to do these kinds of things, but I think most libertarians care about their communities and the world, and, um, you know, we want to offer solutions that aren't based on government, so uh, we can have an eye towards looking to that. What, what kind of services, what kind of things can we fill in the market that would help people be able to, you know, uh, do what they need to do, but do it without the government. That's that's where I think we can really be the bright side in this whole thing. Um, so that's that's what I'm trying to do, and, and build communities. Like build your community of like-minded individuals. That's so important. Not only because, you know, we everybody needs someone who understands them, right? Who gets them. You don't have to explain yourself every time you, you speak to someone. Like that gets, we all know that feeling because if you're a radical politically, you know, it's, it's very difficult to find people who get you sometimes, but, but you should cultivate that, cultivate those and nurture those relationships because not only will it be better for you and your mental health, but when stuff really does go bad, you have people that you can rely on that you, you know have a similar uh, way of viewing the world, and, and that'll make things a lot easier. And you can help each other out. That's, that's part of being human is being part of communities. So, yeah, I think that's a really important aspect. Okay, so I want to I want to I want to kind of expand on that because this is kind of the the original purpose of me getting in touch with you the other day is I everybody's talking about you know I I mean I had Mike on and uh, Mike Maharian and we talked about the 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 bust and and the business cycle and the federal Mm -hmm. reserve and all that and everybody's talking about all these intricate details that the average person doesn't even pay attention to but you're a mother and you're Mm -hmm. you're well known at least within the circle that i uh communicate with you're well known as kind of the libertarian mother you know and um (laughs) and so how are you approaching your children as far as making sure that they understand what the mm-hmm. future, how to sure up their future and how to, how to right. ensure that they have some security in the future? How are you approaching this, knowing that there are changes coming yeah. that, that are unforeseen? Yeah, I, yeah, it's a good question. Um, and I think, for one, it depends on your kids you know, who, who your kids are and how resilient they are. And hopefully we've, we've, you know, some people are just more naturally, um, you know, have anxiety more than other people, that, that kind of thing. But I've, with my kids, they're both pretty resilient. I've tried to teach them that 
hard things are going to come in life, you know, and they're, that's just the way it is, and, and you can't sit around and, and think of the what is. you just got to get busy with what is. And um, with my, I have such a wide spread that my approach is different between my two kids. So my son, who is 17, you know, he's working, he's seeing more of this, he's out in the world, he has his own um, interactions with people, and they're just like thoughts. And at first, when this was all happening, he was really like, this is just going to blow, this is no big deal, I don't know why you're preparing, you know, you don't need to go out and buy, you know, more food and whatever, and I'm like, well, you might be right, right, like, you could be right, it could just all blow over, I don't think, it, I don't think that's the case, but you could be right, but it's better to prepare than not. It's always better to know that you are doing what you can, at least, than to do nothing and then have, you know, have nothing. So um, that's with, he's a little bit more, um, shall we say, dark. He, he, he tends towards the negative a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, and he's so, like me. he's a so, cynic. Yeah, a cynic. He's very, very stoic. He's very cynical. He's a great kid. He's, he's got a brilliant mind, um, and but you know he's young, and I think that's the best thing we can do for people, you know who I've seen a little bit more life at this point, and I know that things don't always work out the way they look like they're going to, or we think they will. So um, just with him, I've been trying to take the approach of look, you just work while you can, do what you can. Um, and, and we'll figure it out. We will, you know, we're a team. Our, and that's, I always look at our family as a team and that we are in it for each other. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to, um, allow him to, to suffer or whatever. He, he wants to move out on his own when he's 18. And I, I've tried to discourage him from that because I think he should stay home for a little bit longer and just save money. But now he might have to. And, you know, just we're we're just looking at that, and I'm saying, look, that's that's life. Sometimes things happen that we don't like, and situations, our plans get changed. But it's a good learning experience for someone who is more inflexible, and it's hard for them to roll with the punches sometimes to to get that and go, okay, well, there's nothing I can do about this. So sitting around and being upset about it doesn't help. Mm-hmm. Um, so you just have to deal with, with what is and, and you know, I, I'm not like, when I say keep a positive attitude it's not like Pollyanna like, oh we're just going to be fine, but you know, you can approach things from either a negative or positive approach and I tend to choose the positive because I find that the negative gets in my way um, and it, it doesn't help me think clearly, it doesn't help me, you know, it, it, it's I, I hate to even say that just because so many people have used that in a terrible way where they're just, they're using it to be unprepared and to be, you know, pie in the sky sort of thinking that's, that's not where I'm coming from. I just think that you, you can, you can look at things with a, even if they're concerning things, you can hope for the best, but prepare for the worst, sort of that kind of mindset. Yeah. Uh, and then, with my daughter, um, you know, she's only nine, so her concerns are, are completely different. Um, and I feel like as, you know, my son at 17, I, I talk to him as the young man that he is. I don't need to hide or shelter him from any of this. 
Mm-hmm. But with her, I let her know what she needs to know, and then I let her be a kid. Yeah. Um, and but we talk about it too. We talk about you know, you know things that are happening and and why, especially if they come up. Um, and it's a little scary for her at times, but I try not to because I it doesn't do her any good to be scared. Mm-hmm. And I don't want I don't want her living in fear. She's nine. There's not much she can do about it, anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not in her hands to prepare or anything like that. So, uh, you know, I, I I just try to approach things very lighthearted with her, but also be as honest with her as I can. Um, and and she's she's a very um, precocious young lady, and she's quite intelligent. So she's she knows a lot more than. Uh, maybe some other kids, but she's she's very resilient. She's a very resilient person, just naturally. So she kind of uh, she's really flexible and rolls with the punches pretty easily. So it's 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 just different because of her age and her personality. Um, but I I haven't really talked to her all that much about it. I've just been reminding her. Well, yeah, we're not gonna go. You can't go hang out with your friends this week. You know, they're staying at home and everybody's kind of just hunkering down a little bit and letting this pass. Um, so that's, I, I don't know if that's actually helpful at all. <laughs> but um, it's what I've been doing. And I think we just, you know, the the best thing we can do is be the best parents we can be all the time. Um, and, you know, I'm far from the best parent in the world. But uh, I do my best to let my kids understand that they, you know, like they have a a great deal of responsibility in their own lives. And they also um, have, um, well, I guess they they have a lot of responsibility and I want them to be able to take care of themselves as much as possible. And those things, if we do that enough in, you know, regular life, when the time comes that they really have to hear something hard or know something hard, live through something hard, then I think they're able to weather it better because, you know, I, I don't pretend that life is always easy or fun or that um, nothing bad will ever happen to you. I guess that's that's the biggest thing is that I don't, I don't always tell my kids, like, nothing bad is never going to happen to you. You're always going to be okay because that's just not the way life goes. So teaching them how to live through things, I think, is really important and and live with, you know, re- not um, disappointments and and things we can't control. We just have to deal with them. Yeah, yeah. And that's, see, as a, as a truck driver, I'm gone a lot. And um, as we were talking about before we, we started recording, I, I've tried to sure up my wife at home and we have... We have, you know, a little bit, we have like eight and three quarter acres, almost nine acres. We have a mm-hmm. pond. We have wild animals that, you know, run around. So I made sure she's able to kill food if necessary, which, you know, she probably won't do. Um, because right. Because <laughs> she, she loves, she just can't bring herself to do it. But, uh, yeah. but you know. You get hungry enough, you can. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, think, it out. I think so, too. She could always send one of those, one of the three dogs out to kill for her, too. Um, but, you know, um, I'm looking at, you know, the potentiality 
of the economy never correcting, especially with them talking about moving to a digital dollar and things like that. So mm -hmm. we have a little bit of cash on us. Um, we're not wealthy by any stretch of the imagination, but we've, we've been operating in the gray market for a couple of years now. And mm -hmm. uh, we've, we've actually, you know, been able to get a little bit of cash and that might be of value um, right. being, being in cash. And, we're also looking at ways that we can expand, you know, our ability to operate within a gray market. And so mm -hmm. we're, we're taking steps in order to do that. But I'm, I have five kids. I also have one granddaughter and mm -hmm. I'm, you know, uh, being kind of a, I guess you could call it an absentee father by necessity <laughs> more than right. you know, desire because of the sure. because of the uh having to afford to to pay child support and having to you know be out here on the road all the time um it it makes it really difficult for me dealing with my kids because i'm trying to i'm trying to give them advice but not step on their mom's toes and i'm trying to communicate with their mom sure. and find out what what she's doing and what's going on there and trying to give her some, you know, whatever advice and let her know, like, look, we have room at mm -hmm. our place if the kids need to get out of the city because they all live in Houston, you know, which mm -hmm. is not yeah. where I would want to be at this point. In sure. Time. So right. it makes it a little difficult for me. And so I'm trying to like, just kind of, kind of nudge in the right direction. Like, Hey, maybe, uh, maybe get outside and, you know, let the kids plant a garden or something like that you know, like, right. like yeah make sure that you know they're doing something productive and they're getting out there and you know in in nature and uh the natural antioxidants of the sun are actually boosting their immune system you know things like right. that don't just keep them locked up you know yeah. in the house like little prisoners so i'm trying to <laughs> trying to nudge the nudge them in the right direction uh without right. being too forceful and that's a, yeah that's lots a of people are in that situation you know and and you, all you can do is encourage and and cultivate that relationship because you know making a, a you're not married for a reason right and so making that relationship uh functional is really important um and uh i yeah i I think that's the best thing we can do is prepare kids mm. to, who are responsible, like to do all the good parenting things that we know already. Those are the things that will sustain our kids. And I always tell my kids, like, I'm not going to be around forever. I'm not going to be here to, to tell you what to do. Right. Even, even, I, mean, I don't mean just being dead, like, you know, I'm not with my kids 24 <laughs> hours a day. So, mm -hmm. you know, you have to know how to make good decisions. So I think teaching, teaching kids how to think and how to be resourceful um, and, you know, use ingenuity. I think those things are really important. And a lot of that comes with just allowing them to live their lives and have some failures and, you know, go, not helicopter them, right? Like let them actually have consequences for their actions in life and things like that where, um, you know, I have a really, really responsible 17-year-old and he's basically treated – as an adult in my house because he makes really good decisions. Mm. And um, I won't say that that's all because of the parenting uh, that he's had because he's, he's a kind of a naturally responsible person too. 
but uh, I, I, I will take a little credit for that, you know, and Sam has helped to cultivate that. Um, and and I, I think he can be trusted to do that. Right. And and that's what we really want. You want to be, I'm raising adults. I've always looked at raising my kids as raising adults. I want them to be able to enjoy their lives because thankfully we live in a time where kids don't have to work. You know, my, my, like my great grandparents were working at like five, you know, stuff like mm. that. And I'm thankful my kids haven't had to do that, but they could if they needed to, right? Like that's what I want. I want kids who are able to recognize and not feel sorry for themselves, but recognize reality and go, okay, let's do it. Let's, mm-hmm. let's, let's do what we got to do. And, and that's a really important um, mindset that will take you through your whole life. And you can't appear, prepare for every eventuality, but you can prepare as far as being, you know, raising your kids to be the kind of people that are resilient and that, that can, can figure out what they need to do and make good decisions. And that's, that's probably the most important thing we can do because they can, they're smart, you know, they can figure out a lot of things on their own, mm-hmm. but you have to give them that foundation. And I think that's, you know, it's good what you're talking about, having to plant the garden and things like that. It's an awesome thing for kids to do. It, it's, it teaches you so much about responsibility and reward and hard work and, you know, like you were saying, those that's the kind of example my parents set, set for me. You know, I grew up when I was very small. We were homeless several times, and, you know, it was a, it was a bad situation. My mom um, worked very, very hard, and then she went my stepdad, and they both worked very hard to to continue their trajectory towards the middle class, you know, and, and that's given my, my siblings and I a better boost in life than than we would have had otherwise. So. Um, you know, I think we're all hopefully upwardly mobile, uh, generally, and even in times when things are not looking so, so good, hopefully we can, um, you know, use, use our wits and, and make the best decisions so that we can keep our families moving forward and not, uh, falling apart. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, we're hitting at about an hour and we're having, okay. it seems like I'm having a little bit of a reception issue. Yeah. Know, the wind, <laughs> yeah, the wind's kick, kicking up here and, uh, which is weird cause we're in Louisiana. It's not like I'm in <laughs> Chicago or Oklahoma, <laughs> but yeah, the wind's kicking up here. And as every time the wind gusts, I can, I can tell that it's like, it's kind of breaking up a little bit, but so, uh, you got any final thoughts? Hmm. I, I would say, yeah, just, I think one of the things you said during the beginning of the interview is the most important is that not to let fear be the thing that, that guides you. So don't be subject to your fear. Always keep your logic, logic, or your, your emotions subject to your logic. And I think that's, that's one of the most important things that we can do and that we can set an example for our children to do. And that doesn't mean that there aren't things to be afraid of. It just means that even if there is something to be afraid of, that we're going to not let our emotions override our good sense. And uh, I think that's probably one of the best things we could ever do for ourselves or our children and not buy into the hysteria just because everyone's hysterical, Mm -hmm. but actually, you know, take a minute and 
get yourself together. And, and like I said, I, I still don't exactly know what to believe about all this. And that in itself is, I don't like that feeling, mm -hmm. but I know that there are cer certain things that I can do. Um, and to take care of myself, you know, my mental health, whatever, I, I, I pull back occasionally from social media or I'll just have a day where I'm like, I'm only going to post funny stuff, you know, and play games with people. Just keep doing that. Um, and, and while everyone's so tense, try and hang out with your friends. If, if you have to do it over Skype or whatever, I've been doing live streams and just kind of hang out with people and bring the level of stress down because when we're not so stressed out, we can generally think more clearly. So I guess right. those are my, my only final words. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually really concern myself with the way people are going to be reacting about this um, in, you know, in, in a few weeks, and mm -hmm. especially if they're still locked down and uh, just the insanity that is going to overcome people from being shut out of society and, and not functioning mm -hmm. within society. Um, and, and the unrest that, that may ensue, especially yeah. in the cities, um, where there's millions of people. But, um, yeah, so that kind of, that kind of concerns me is just how are people going to be reacting? Cause I don't foresee, I don't foresee the government, um, lifting all these restrictions anytime soon. I think it'll get worse yeah. before it gets better. Um, but all right. Sometimes it's how it goes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's growing pains, man. That's just how life goes. Yeah. Man. But, uh, tell everybody where they can find you since, uh, since you're hard to find anymore. Right. Right. Well, I'm, I'm still, I have Sherry, the Sherry voluntary show page is still up. I'm not currently, uh, doing new shows. Um, I don't know that I'll go back to that show, but, uh, this, you know, your interview and other interviews of me will be on there. Um, and I would still love the sub subs on, on YouTube because I can still monetize that page if I, if I get enough subs. So, mm -hmm. uh, you can find me there and then just Facebook, Sherry Voluntary, Twitter, Instagram, all those things. I'm always around. I'll be at, uh, if it doesn't get canceled, which they're it's looking like it's going to keep going. Um, Freedom Fest 2020 in Las Vegas. Okay. I'll be there July 13th through 16th, uh, at some point, there will be a panel on voluntarism and anarchism that I'm going to be on. So oh, nice. I'm looking forward to that. You can find me there. And uh, funnybroke.com is my new venture with my partner, uh, business partner, Alan Mosley, who does the gold standard. And, and we co-host postcards from Somalia together. <laughs> Pardon me. We have started a new network. We're, we're, gearing, we're going more towards entertainment now. Mm -hmm. um, we're still being ourselves, but just branding in a way that we can maybe get more, you know, wider audience. So yeah, that's where you can find us. Funny uh, broke on Facebook. <laughs> I still think postcards from Somalia is still the best name for a podcast. ever. Yeah. We do too. <laughs> it, crack, it cracks me up every time I, I smile, every time I say it. Yeah. Uh, it was a, a stroke of genius. Yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. Okay. Thanks I'm so much. You go. Thanks for having me, Tommy. I appreciate it. All right. We'll talk later. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. That was Sherry Voluntary. I'm Tommy Salmons. Late.